here's what I want you to think about. That uh, when, whenever this show comes on, what they do is they take this amazingly incredible dancer and they put them with someone who isn't always as good, almost never is as good. And in this particular dance, I literally watched it and went, whoa, that was beautiful. It was incredible. It was graceful. It was amazing. But then when those who really know dance looked at it, they said, yeah, but the guy we're grading wasn't as good as you think he was. Now, Why? Because what happened is she worked with him and she figured out what his strengths were. Now, get, this is where we're headed. I think you'll grab this. She figured out his strengths and what he was good at. And she choreographed a dance that would accentuate his strengths. And then she, on purpose, did things to cover up his weakness. She, at times, did things to steal the view away from him so you would watch her and her grace and her beauty and not see where he wasn't as strong. In other words, what you had is someone, and this is where I'm going, who brought their grace and their beauty to around the strengths of someone else and accentuated them and then allowed the weaknesses not to be magnified in a way that caused something beautiful to happen. you got to grab that, can't you? Isn't that what God does? God looks at you and he says, I want to accentuate your strengths. I want to pour my, my mercy and love and power and, and, and presence in your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see God shining out as you and he live life together. And it's not about where we're failing. It's, it's not about where you're messed up. Uh, and, and maybe this will help you to grab hold of that even a little bit more. Uh, the word guidance. I, I read this and I thought I just want to share it with you. When I meditated on the word guidance, I kept seeing dance at the end of the word. I remember reading that God's, doing God's will is a lot like dancing. When two people try to lead, nothing feels right. The movement doesn't flow with the music and everything is quite uncomfortable and even jerky. When one person relaxes and the other leads, both bodies begin to flow with the music one gives gentle cues, perhaps a nudge to the back or by lightly pressing in one direction or another. It's as if the two become one body moving beautifully. The dance takes on surrender, willingness, and attentiveness. My eyes drew back to the word guidance, and when I saw the G, I thought of God, followed by you and I. God, you and I dance. God, you and I dance. This statement is what guidance means to me. And so I lowered my head and I became willing to trust that I would get guidance about my life. Once again, I became willing to let my God lead. Father, we pray and ask right now that you would help us to understand how important it is that we literally surrender to you. But in that surrender, Lord, we don't give up energy. We don't give up passion. As a matter of fact, we take it on more than ever. And we allow you, Lord, to wrap your love and your presence around our life in such a way that this amazing tapestry begins to unfold of all the things you want to have happen for us. May we rejoice in that. May we allow your beauty and your grace. May we allow your strength and your power. May we allow the awesomeness of your presence to so be a part of who we are that our lives to become this amazing, beautiful dance. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're talking about now today is the whole idea that God loves to interweave into our life. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. The word plans, I've been saying this and I'll probably keep saying it, I want to lock it in your mind, is the Hebrew word for a texture machine. 
God is saying here, I know what I interweave into your life so that you might have a future, so you might have a hope. And, and what I want you to just grab hold of and never let go of is what is this saying? It's saying that God loves you individually, that God cares about you individually, that God's heart is devoted to you intimately in an amazing way, and that God has plans for you. He has a, an interweaving that goes on, things he puts into your life on purpose. And so what I want you to grab hold of today is God's eye is always on you, and he would love to have his hand upon you, guiding your life in this amazing dance that you share with him. Psalm 139, I hope you're there. Look at verses 1 to 6 with me. This beautiful psalm of David says this. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize, now notice this, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. I, I want to repeat that part. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Now, I, we've talked about this time and time again, but in the midst of the study series we're doing, we got to go back to it. God watches everything about you. You've never taken a step he didn't know you'd take. You've never sat in a seat he didn't know you'd sit in. Before today happened, God knew where you were going to be sitting. Uh, when you lie down, God watches over you. And when you rise up, he's excited for you and has plans for you. Before you've ever said a word, before you've ever said the word, as the thought came into your mind, God knew what you were going to say, and he was ready for when you said it. Now, I want you to think about that. That's an amazing thing. David said, that's so beyond what I can understand. Now, there's probably, without a doubt, some negative side to this. Because if we got honest, a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our words aren't things we want God to hear us say or, or think, right? And when we begin to look at that and, and understand that, we need to grab hold of the fact that God loves you no matter what. And he pours his grace around you no matter what. Years and years ago, there was a TV show called The Girl with Something Extra. It starred Sally Fields. And her and a guy named John Davidson were newlyweds. But what happened is this girl had something extra. She could read people's minds. Whenever anybody walked into her presence, she could know what you were thinking. You could never be around her and her not know. And I'll never forget this one time in the show that what happens is they go to kiss and she just kind of steps back and he goes, what? And she goes, it's okay. And he goes, no, what? And she goes, it's okay. He goes, what is it? She goes, you were thinking of someone else when you are kissing me. And he said, oh, and he couldn't deny it. And he's standing there, and she goes, you know what? It's okay. She goes, I hate what this gift gives me sometimes. And I know you're human, and I know you love me. I know even now how sorry you are. I can, I can hear it in your mind. It's okay. I love you no matter what. And, and the way the show went is that she had to learn to let people have weaknesses because she was going to know them. Now, I've said this before, aren't you glad that nobody right now can hear your thoughts? I mean, aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad when you walk into work and your boss walks up to you, he can't hear what you're thinking? Aren't you glad when you're driving down the street, every driver around you can't hear your thoughts about them and how much you love them? And, uh, and here's the thing, God hears every thought you've ever thought. He, he knows it well, every word you've ever said, and he loves you. 
If you read this psalm, do you notice no glaring negativity flying out of it? No, how could you be this way? God looks at you and says, what I'm going to concentrate on are those thoughts that are precious, those words that are incredible, and who you could be. God loves you no matter what, and he wants to have his hand upon you. And and catch that word intimacy. He goes, I want to search out what's going on in your life and examine it carefully and intimately because I love you so much. The word searched is the Hebrew word that literally means to penetrate, to examine, to look over in a way where you don't miss anything. And all of us who've had children, we know what that's like. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I love sports. I, I mean, you know, you know, I'm a USC fan, and I wish there had been a game on Thursday. Uh, but the, the, the bottom line is, is the, you know what? You love watching it, and your heart rate gets going. But everybody who has a child, have you, you, you would agree with me, when your child is playing, it's a bigger deal. Now, for years, I've gone and watched sporting events, especially being a youth pastor. I was at all the high school games and soccer games and all that. But then my son, Tim, when he hit high school, Tim started playing basketball, and it changed everything. I got to be honest, I was shocked about how, how my shift happened because before that, if the referee made a bad call against the team, I would talk to our students on the team and say, hey, you just got to play through it. It's okay. Everybody makes a mistake and maybe it wasn't even one. But when the ref made a call against my son, he was evil. He was debased. He was, I mean, I was mad. I, I just, parents, aren't you that way? Uh, when, when, you know what, when our guys, you know, had a real sh- hard shot given to them, I was almost always filming and I was laughing going, oh, this will be great. I can't wait to show it. But when they hit my son, I was ready to throw the camera down and come after him. I, you know why? It, it, it was intimate with me. And, and, and there was something that happened. And, you know, I watched him play, and I would see him when, when he didn't do something well, and I could see the hurt in him. I remember there was a time he missed this shot, and, and it would have been a big deal to the team. And, man, I'm grieving for him. And then I remember a game, and i got to tell you this, where Tim went down and hit seven three-pointers in a row, and they couldn't stop him. And I was looking at the other team saying, that's my kid, man. <laughs> God looks at you like that. I remember about golfing not too long ago. I'm standing with two men who aren't believers, and they looked at me and said, you know what bugs me is these Christians that act like God cares about their game. And I looked at them and said, he does. And they go, no, God doesn't care about a football game. And I said, you know what? I don't know that he cares so much about the outcome, but he cares about every single football player on that field. And and the ones who love him, the ones who are his children, he doesn't miss a game. Do you think God misses a game? When I, I wouldn't miss a game with my kids. By the way, God watches you that way. And this game of life, this dance of life, he sees every step you take. That's what this psalm says. He doesn't miss a thing. He watches you. He cares about you. He even wants to put his hand upon you and, and lead you and guide you in the midst of all the decisions of your life and everything you do. You know, and, and when, when, when God's with you, what, he wants you to talk to him about it. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but did all of you have teenagers? Did you go through that stage where your kids came home from school and you go, how was school? And they go, okay. And they walk away. And it's like, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. And remember when they were little and they told you everything and then it goes to okay. Do you know what God, God wants you at the end of the day? He, he looks at you and says, how was your day? And he wants you to go, Lord, this happened today and this happened today and this happened today. That's what he wants you to do. And, and this prayer experience we have is with the God who wants to be intimate with us. He really genuinely cares about us. Uh, I don't know if you can. Don't lose Psalm 139. But get over to Genesis uh, 29. I'd like you to see this. Notice how God moves in the life of Leah. Genesis 29. Uh, what's happened is, uh, and I'll give you the quick synopsis. Leah was, was unlovely. 
Her sister, the Bible says, was beautiful in face and, and form. In other words, body and face. She, she was gorgeous beyond. And so she lived her whole life always knowing how much more beautiful her sister was than her. And, and then what happens is Jacob comes along and he falls so madly in love with the younger sister. And, and her father gets Jacob drunk. And on the night that they are to consummate the wedding, he switches the daughters. because And, and he actually says this because basically no one would want her. And she's forced upon another man. And when he wakes up, he's appalled that she's now his wife. And, and, but he makes an agreement so that he could get the younger sister as a wife also. That, that he would go ahead and stay married to her. Where was God in all this? Well, I want you to know, not all that that happened, I believe, was God's will. But God would make something good come out of it. Look at where God was. Verse 31. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He saw she was hurting. He saw her pain. Whenever you're unloved, whenever you're lonely, whenever you're hurting, God doesn't, he doesn't take his eye off you. He's not on vacation. He goes, he saw he was unloved. And what did he do? He decided to do something. It says, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. He on purpose made sure in a society that valued children highly, that she was the one who got pregnant first and actually for a long time. He on purpose interweaved his will in such a way to say, I'm going to change this situation. I'm going to bring an answer to her because I see how in love she is. And verse 32 goes, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. Notice this, because the Lord has seen my affliction and surely now my husband will love me what she basically is saying is God sees God knows and I don't know about you but when you're having a tough time and a rough time in your life and you're sitting there it's really good when your faith's strong enough to say those words God I know you see this God I know you're watching he is He, he cares about you individually and he's watching you he sees Notice what happens, though. God is going to continue to move in this situation. Verse 32. Then she conceived a second time and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, and he has therefore given me the son also. And she named him Simeon. And so she starts out by saying, You know what? God sees what's going on. And then she goes, God's hearing my prayers. I I know he hears me. I know that. I know he hears. I know he cares. I know he's watching over the situation. So she goes from saying, I know God sees this. I know God hears what's going on. Verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, she named him Levi. And what is she saying at this point? She said, not only does God see, not only does God hear, but now God is is actually causing the situation to turn the way it should. Uh, My husband is going to be attached to me. He is going to to take over. And notice verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son. She goes, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So don't miss this. She starts out devastated, heartbroken, and says, but God sees then she gets to a place in her life, she goes, I know God's hearing my prayer. And then she gets to a place that says, I know God's answering my prayer. And then she gets to a place that I'm praising God for what he did. Now, it was a long period of time from the seeing to the answer. But she said, I could see how intimately involved God is in my life. Don't miss, that's how he feels about you. Psalm 139 tells us that he watches, he cares, he searches. Psalm 56 verse 8 says this, you have taken account of my wanderings, you have put my tears in your bottle, Are they not in your book? We see the heart of Jesus in John chapter 4. When it starts out in John 4 where Jesus said, I must be at this place. I must go. He had a place to be, an appointment with the woman who was hurting. 
He shows up at a particular place, a particular time. The Greek word there for must means he was driven beyond uh, an ability to hold back. He couldn't stand it. God knew, Jesus knew where he needed to be. And he sends his disciples away so he can talk one-on-one with a woman who's been used and abused and betrayed all her life. She comes up to the well at a time where no other woman would come. Why? Because the women in the village didn't want to be around her. And here's this lonely woman having to do work in a way that was more difficult on her because of it. Nobody truly caring about her. And Jesus begins to engage her in conversation. And and he finally, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And he says, I want you to go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, I know you don't. You have had five husbands. And the one man you're with now, he's, he's not even willing to marry you. Now, in that culture, in that time, think about this. She had five different men take her and say, I will love you all my life and cast her aside. In that society, no woman had the right to exercise divorce. So each of these men were the one who literally looked at her and said, no more, and cast her out. And when you left that, you had nothing. And she would each time be cast aside with no hope of anybody else taking care of her. The fact she's living with another man tells us that either her family doesn't exist or they didn't want her either. And so this is a woman who five different times had someone look her in the eye and say, now I'm going to love you. And they turned around and broke that vow. And then now the guy who's taking her in is just using her. And nobody in the town wants anything to do with her. And Jesus said, I'm here. I'm here because I know what's going on in your life. And she didn't realize this. He was also about to let her life change. What he does is this is the first time he ever reveals that he's the Messiah. Who did he do it to? To a woman's life that's a mess and whose heart is breaking. And he stands before her and says, I'm he. And she's like, you're he. And she rushes into the village and she tells everybody, come and meet a man who's told me everything about my life. And of course, they're going, oh, yeah. And they're rushing out there to hear all the juicy gossip. And and they get around Jesus and, and Jesus begins to wow them. And I really believe Jesus cared about every person in the village, but why did he choose this moment to wow them? Because when he was done, they all gather around her and said, you're the one who brought him here. Now we believe too. We, and, and she now becomes the center of attention in this village. Now, now Jesus had to be with her to change her life. Jesus loves you that way. When you grab that, he cares about you. When you got that bad news, the Lord says, I've, I've got a plan. I've got a way to interweave. Let me take you through this dance, and it might be a sad one for a period of time, but, but let's get together here, and I'm going to nudge, and I'm going to move, and I want you to be sensitive to this so the grace and beauty that I want to pour into your life would work. God loves you, and he wants his hand upon you. That's what it says in Psalm 139. Look what it says in Psalm 139, starting at verse 7. It says this. The presence of the Lord is everywhere. He's never going to leave you. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. And that's the idea of hell. If I were to go to the depths of hell, Lord, your presence would be with me. You wouldn't leave me. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light to me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And what is he getting at? He says, God, because you're always with me everywhere. And when we are aware of the presence of God, it changes everything. When I was first a believer here at Crossroads over and over again, Again, the pastor Tim Coop would say to me and to all of us, practice the presence of God. Be in tune to it. Be aware of it. It changes things. 
I don't know if you heard about the guy who got on a plane and, and they were getting ready to take off and at the last minute a, a, a nun comes on and she sits in the seat next to him. Well, she looks so nervous and scared he can't believe it. He kind of figures out she on purpose waited to the last second to get on the plane because she was terrified. And he looked at her and he thought, you know, this just doesn't go together. I mean, is she supposed to have faith in God? Why is she afraid of flying? And he thought about all the statistics, you know, about how few people really die. And, and, but he thought, you know, that's probably not going to help her. But I, I wonder why. Well, as they begin to take off, man, she's holding these rosary beads. And they start leveling off and she's going through her prayers. And then he realizes, okay, we've leveled off. She's still scared to death. And he looks at her and he said, sister, I, I don't mean to be rude, but come on, we're, we're leveled off and the takeoff's over. She goes, oh, I can't, I, I'm so terrified to fly. And he said, okay, I, I, I don't want to be rude again, but come on. I mean, God, God is with us, right? Jesus said, I will always be with you. And she said, that's not what he said. He said, lo, I will always be with you. <laughs> okay, he is always with us, right? He's always there. And, and, and the psalmist, David, said, I just can't believe how amazing God is. He wants to be intimate with me. He wants his hand upon me, and he never will leave me. And there's nowhere I can go that he wouldn't be with me. And, and guess what David then says? He says, but God also made me. Look at verse 13. It says this, For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all the days that were written that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now, by the way, this clearly teaches that when the life erupts, when conception happens, God says, I'm forming this child. I'm watching over this baby. And by the way, every time a, a child inside the womb is referred to, it's called a child in Scripture. And it says the hand of God is upon this child, this life, this care. And you can't miss that. And God says, the way you look, I actually formed the, the, your height, the way your hair is, the way some of you lack hair. God was a part of that. There's a verse in scripture that says if a man has lost all his hair, he's bald, but he is still clean. <laughs> I always think, why is that? You know, okay, Lord, we, all right. But you know, God cares. The Bible even says he does count the hair on your head. And again, for some of you, it's a very quick project. But, uh, <laughs> but God cares. He really does. And, and you know what? When you think about that, you go, oh my gosh, God really did form me the way I am. He did it on purpose, whether I'm fast or slow in running speed, whether I'm you know, strong or not. But when we think about it, we have to come up with some whys. I mean, you really do. When, God, when it says that God ordained our days, he watched over them, there's no doubt if we get honest, we're going to ask some whys. And, and your whys and mine might be different, but let me throw out a couple of them. Why does one person get called to minister in a small church and another in a large one? Now, I know that would be more me, but let me tell you this. Uh, I, I love that I get to be a lead pastor here. I love I get to be with you, and I, I love the size of our church and what we're doing. But I want to tell you, I've been around pastors of smaller churches who are way better preachers than I am. It's not because I'm more gifted. I, I just look and say it's the hand of God. It's his choice in this. And, and I don't walk in here going, well, you know, God's real lucky that I'm doing this one. No. And you guys know, everyone here knows that. It's, you know what, if it comes down to gifting, then it's in the flesh, not the spirit. And I've watched very, very spiritual men not have large, large church, and they are dynamic. And the ministries they do are amazing. And I say, but God, you know, okay, so I don't understand. This is, your, this is you, and, and I just want to try to rejoice in it. 
Um, why does one couple have an easier time getting pregnant and another doesn't? Or not at all. I've seen people who I think would be the most amazing parents ever, and for some reason, conception hasn't happened. And I go, why? Well, I don't get it, God. And have you seen people, and I'm not trying to be mean, who've had children and they're not even truly parents? And you go, God, I, I just don't always understand, but I know you're a part of this. I know you've ordained a lot of this. How about this? Why does one woman have an easier time giving birth to a child than another? You know, I, I've watched, not watched, but I've, I, I, I've been around women who's had 30 hours, 40 hours, 48 hours of labor and devastating times. I walked into a hospital one time to pray with a girl because she was in such pain. And as I'm walking in, I hear her scream, make it stop, make it stop. And, and I think, oh my gosh. And then Doug, who was up here, Doug's wife, Maureen, has just been uh, someone Pam and I have loved since she was in high school. And we saw her come to know the Lord, and I feel like I was a part of setting her and Doug up. And if any of you have seen Maureen, she is literally beautiful, gorgeous. Uh, she's one of those people who just always, you know, looks right and, 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 and her physically looks great. And so when she got married, and I told her, I said, Maureen, I am so excited you're getting married because I can't wait for you to get pregnant and get fat. I said, and you know what else, Maureen? I said, it's going to hurt. I said, and, and then when she gets pregnant, I'm like, yeah. Well, she never really got fat. So then I had to emphasize, it's going to hurt. And I said, it's just a few more months, and you're going to be in pain like you've never known. A few more weeks, and we're in countdown mode. Oh, you're going to be screaming. You're going to be, and I just kept giving. I, I wanted, I don't know why. I just wanted to terrorize her. So one night, it's like, I don't know, late in the, you know, early in the morning hours past midnight, she wakes up in labor. And Maureen gets up and goes and, and showers and, and she does her hair and her, I don't know if she did her nails, but her nails are gorgeous. She puts on her makeup and she wakes Doug up. And Doug's woken up and he's like, what? And she goes, it's time. It's, he looks at her and she's just beautiful. <laughs> it's like, and she goes, yeah, let's go. Well, she goes to the hospital and she gives birth to Kai, who's now one of the college guys here. And you know what? She calls me up and she goes, Chuck, it was fun. <laughs> there are literally minutes after Kai's born, there's pictures with her with these beautiful nails and her beautiful hair and makeup smiling. You know. I, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I say, God, why? Why couldn't you make this one hard? You know, and... Uh, <laughs> I didn't really do that. But you know, you ask why. Uh, why is one family extremely wealthy and another not? Some of that is God's hand. It really is. Why? Why? And, and so you begin to ask. And, and I think maybe it is the butterfly effect. It's something you and I can't understand. In 1960, MIT meteorologist Edward Lawrence uh, uh, was doing, building a computer model to study weather flow, weather patterns, and, and I think this is so interesting. What happened is in the midst of building it, he was getting ready to head to lunch, and, and he was kind of in a hurry, and, and he was supposed to put in this particular number, 0.506127, and, and, and just being in a hurry and getting ready to head out the door, knowing he'd come back, instead he just put in 0.506 and walked out the door. When he came back, it was catastrophic what was happening. The weather systems that, that were being generated and shown that would occur, leaving off that, that hundredth, a thousandth of, a, 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 of a, a number that was there, would literally devastate parts of the planet. And, and it wasn't things that couldn't happen, it's things that have happened and would, but just that little bit. And, and he actually did this, according uh, to, the, to, to interviews with him, 
he began to ask, what would that difference be? And he is the one who said this, it would be about the amount of air a butterfly creates when it flaps its wing. Now, it'd be a fairly large butterfly, but he said this, if a, a butterfly were in the right place, hitting the right humidity and, and heat pocket of air and flapped his wings in the right moment, a butterfly in Rio de Janeiro could actually create one of the biggest cyclones or hurricanes to ever hit this country. The butterfly effect. So whenever we ask why, God, why is this happening in this person's life? Why is this happening in my life? I think if we really start to step back, we go, wow, it's amazing how, God, you start putting these things together, and I can't see all the effect that's going to come out here. Certainly, Leah could not see that the second son she would bear would give birth to the Messiah one day through his lineage. And that was very purpose that a woman who thought no one loves me and cares about me, God says, I'm going to begin not only to bless you now, but later on, uh, literally from you, literally a part of your heritage is the Messiah who will stand one day. And that Messiah will stand in front of another woman who doesn't feel loved. And he'll love her. And he'll change her. And that'll reverberate through time. There are people today in the area of Israel, Samaritans, are you ready for this, who trace their Christianity all the way back to the woman at the well, unbroken. And Jesus wasn't just, he knew what he was doing. And I don't know what all the effects are in your life and mine, but I do know that he does it. And, and when we embrace that and love that, it becomes amazing. And so what we have to say is, God, sometimes you'll show me the reasons why and sometimes you won't. Why does he make some people to be born or allow some people to be born one way or another. We're going to get into a verse later that will bother you, so I won't get into it now, but it's amazing when you think of God. But God is the one who has this in his hand. It was in Brooklyn, New York, that a man lives who talked about this. He's a part of a, a very strong Jewish society, and his son attended a school called Chush, where, where children who have disabilities are cared for. And, and he had gathered some of his friends together in a fundraising kind of time, and he stood up and told this particular incident that really did happen. And what happens, he stood up and he said, we're here today to try to do something for what society would consider people who are less than. And I want to ask you a question. Where, where was God when my son Shay was born? Where was God when Shea was born? And, and Shea, uh, uh, I was 11 years old at the time, and he had... He was slow. He was, uh, had some extreme autism. He couldn't move very well. And he says, where is God in that? Do we believe God is the perfect God would do something like this? And he said, I, I want to tell you, I think so. And then he told that not too long before this, and I've shared, some of you have heard me share this before, but I'm moved by it. He had brought Shay to a park, and they were walking together. And Shay loved baseball. That was one of the few things. It, even being uh, easily distracted, he could sit and watch a baseball game the whole time through. And he loved it. And so he's walking along and he has this baseball hat on and there's a baseball game being played. And, and he looks at his dad. He goes, dad, I want to play baseball. I want to play baseball. And his dad's like, son, I know you do. And he goes, dad, dad, would you ask him if I could play? And it's an actual game. The uniform's the whole bit. A little league game. And, and he goes, son, it, it, you're not on the team. He goes, dad, would you ask? And he thought, you know what I'll do? I'll go over and ask. Let him tell me no. And then that way I'll tell him, hey, they said no, and we'll be done. And, and so he walks over, and his son's all excited, and he's watching. And he walks up, and he doesn't, can't get the coach's attention. So he leans over to a kid, and he says, hey, um, I know you guys have an organized game going here, but is there any way my son Shay could play with you? The kid looks over at him, and he sees, obviously, the disabilities and everything. And 
He goes, uh, you know what? We're losing by eight runs. I don't see why not. <laughs> and he walks over to the coach and points it, and the coach looking, and the kid's starting to talk. Little, little 9, 10, 11-year-old kids just really intervening. Coach goes, okay, calls him over, and they get a hat. And man, when they put the hat on Shea, he's excited. And he's sitting there on the, the bench. And if that was all that he had, he would have been thrilled. Well, what happened is it came the eighth inning, and the dad's shocked to see the coach send Shea into right field. And he's out there waving and so excited and got his gloves. See, someone had loaned him a glove, and he's the only one not in uniform, and everybody can see. And, and as he got all excited, even people started clapping for him and got him more excited. Well, in the eighth inning, though, the team did score five runs, and they're only down three. And they go into the ninth inning, and they load the bases, now actually have a chance with the grand slam to win, but they get two outs, and it is Shea's turn to bat, and there's no doubt in the dad's mind they're not going to send him to the plate, but they do. He, even though this team could choose to play the game to win, they take an almost automatic loss, and he's dragging the bat out there and can barely get it there. He goes to get the bat up. The, the other team sees what's going on. The pitcher of the other team walks as close as he safely can towards the batter so that he can try to throw the ball in so this kid can hit it. The mercy is already flowing. And so Shea gets his bat, he can barely hold it, and the guy throws it, and he comes around. He's not even close. So then the, the boy who had intervened for him runs out there, puts his arms around him and helps him hold the bat, and, and the ump doesn't stop it. And now the pitcher more than ever points where he's going to throw, and he lobs the pitch in, they get the bat around and hit it, and it dribbles towards third base, barely. And he, the kid steps back and goes, run, Shay, run. And the whole team's screaming, run. They didn't even know this guy before, but they know his name, and they're screaming. And he takes off running. He's never run a base before. And the third baseman picks it up, and he on purpose throws the ball as hard as he can into right field. Shea hits first base, they're going, go, go, go. The right fielder sees it, and he throws it way over the third baseman's head. When Shea hits second, they're going, go, go, go. As he's coming along, the shortstop of the other team screaming, get down, go, go. And they get him to third, and they say, go. And, and now the, the team is losing the game. They're going to lose the game over this, but they don't care. The other team's going to win, but they're not even focused on that. Shea's coming around third, into home, and when he hits home plate, everybody screams and cheers, and all of the teams, both teams, rush around him and lift him into the air together and start chanting and screaming, Shea, 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 and he's got a baseball hat for the first, he's, yeah, he's going nuts. And the dad said, where is the perfection of God in that? You just saw it. You just saw it. You can't miss it, right? That's what God does. And when we talk about his interweaving, we're not pretending there aren't hurtful things like Leah or the woman at the well felt. We're not saying there's not moments where a father steps back and says, my son has a disability and life's going to be hard. God, how can we get through this? But let me tell you what you never, ever, ever should let go of. God says, let me come and dance this dance with you. I want to be that intimate. I want to be that close. I want to touch you in that way, and I want to lead you in this dance. And, and like the beginning we said, the dance is beautiful if you let him lead. And it's amazing. It doesn't take away your energy. It doesn't take away your strengths. What it is is the grace and beauty of God flows around all those things that hurt or all those weaknesses we have or all those tough times in our life. It flows around in such a way that you just are embraced into something beautiful. That's why I wanted to show that clip. The grace and beauty of the professional took the amateur to a level that was amazing. God is an expert on life. 
He's a professional on life. He, he invented it. He knows it. And if you would let him, he's going to come close to you and guide you and take you. So I want to ask this question. Can you honestly say today that you're an intimately acquainted with him? Do you feel intimacy with God? Intimacy, a true connection. Do you sense his moving you through life? Do you look back and say, wow, God, I know no matter what you're with me. If not, let me tell you, he wants to be. And just like what happens a lot of times in dancing, you have to go up and ask someone to dance. So let me tell you something. Jesus is asking you, do you want to go through life in this amazing dance? He's asking. You have a choice. And if you've never said yes, then I want to give you a chance right now to do that. And how do you do it? You do it by praying. You pray a prayer. And we're going to pray in a moment, and I'm going to lead a prayer of commitment where you would say, yes, I want to do this with you, Lord. I want to let you lead. I want my life to be yours. And, and you're ready to hand over everything with him and for him and experience life his way. And what I'll do is I'll pray a line of the prayer and stop and just wait and let you whisper it to God and so you can make it yours. Today, there are some of you, though, that, you know, at one time you were letting God lead and guide and you were rejoicing in what he was doing. But today you would say, God and I in a man, are we close? Do I sense him? No. Well, let me tell you something. He never, ever, ever will turn his back on you. And if you're not close with God today and you used to be, I want to tell you that he wants you. He always wants you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been. He couldn't love you more than he does. It doesn't matter what you've thought, what you've said. God couldn't love you more than he does. And, and so here's what I'm going to say in this time. If you want to be intimate with God and close to God, I'm going to give you a chance to tell him that, to whisper that prayer right where you're sitting. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that you love us the way you do. You care for us the way you do. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would understand that our lives are not just to be lived with you, but to be lived intimately with you, with your hand upon us with your guidance and your, your movement leading us, with your grace overflowing in areas where we're not as good or strong as we could be. And it makes life beautiful. So I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come. And I ask that you would stir and touch every single person here. And in particular, may you, Lord, touch those who need now to commit their lives to you. They need to say yes to your guidance to your presence, to your love, to the life you have for them. So I ask, Lord, that you would touch and stir. And I pray right now there would be men and women who would just whisper this prayer and say yes to you. Some for the first time, some to come back. I'm gonna ask that we keep praying. And right now, I'm about to lead that prayer. But I'm gonna ask, if you're right with God, would you pray for the people who need to pray it? But today... Today, if you want this intimate relationship with the Lord, if you want to have this with him, to commit your life or recommit, I'm gonna ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer. But before I do, I'd like to know if God is calling any of you to pray it with me. So today, if you're gonna pray this prayer with me, would you let me know you're gonna do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me and then you can put it down. Praise God for you right over here and for you right here. Praise the Lord, man, praise God. That is awesome for you, praise the Lord. Man, and way back over here, praise God. Praise the Lord for you up here too. The reason I'm asking you to lift your hand, it helps me to know who's doing this. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and lift your hand. Let me see you. If you're going to say yes to God in this moment, you're going to pray this prayer. Okay, right up here. Praise God for you and right here for you too. Wow, praise the Lord. Way over here, praise God for you, man. That is awesome. And way up there, praise God. All over the building, there are people who are 
ready to do this. God hears you as an individual, though. So let's pray this together. Just whisper these words. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. And I know you died to forgive me, to cleanse me, to heal my hurts and pains, to make me new and alive. And I say, yes, I want this. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. Please help me be the person you've always made me to be and to live the life you've always had for me to live. I want to have your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.